one great fear averted. I suddenly had this fear that I was going to dump a bowl of marbles as I was walking across the stage. So we averted that one. That's good. Hi, my name is Dave. I'm one of the ministers on staff. So glad that you are here today. And I do pray that as we study today that it will be a blessing. It will be a challenge. It will be a time in which uh, you experience the work of the Holy Spirit in your life as we uh, worship together today. Uh, that's, that is what we're praying for. That is our intent. <clears throat> today we're going to conclude our Just a Phase series, and we're going to conclude it in a little bit of a contrarian way because we're going to say it's not a phase. All, all these weeks we've been saying it's just a phase. We talked about the phase of childhood. We talked about the phase of, of our teenagers and young adulthood and adulthood and older adulthood. But now we're saying it's not a phase, and we're talking about the subject of serving. Because regardless of what phase in life you may find yourself today, service is a requirement. It's not an option. And if you want to be a spiritually mature person, you're going to find places in which you can serve in the body of Christ. That's, that's part of Christ's plan for his church. That's part of Christ's plan for your life. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. Now, while the way we serve may go through various phases, the call to serve and our need to serve is always there. It never ends. And we may reach a point in our life when we say, I can't do any more service. And I hope by the time we get to the end that you'll understand that's not true. That there is, regardless of stage, age, physical abilities, there is service that can be done by each of us. Now, in light of that, I want us to take a look at this quote from Andrew Murray. Andrew Murray was a pastor uh, and author at the turn of the 20th century, a prolific writer about prayer. And, and notice what, what Murray wrote. Uh, we're way ahead. We need to come back to it a little bit. The quote from Andrew Murray, God is ready to assume full responsibility for the life wholly yielded to him. All right? Here's what I'd like for us to do. Let's read that out loud together just so we're all understanding what page we're on. All right? Let's read it. God is ready to assume full responsibility for the life wholly yielded to him. And you'll notice the questions that are there. What is implied in the word ready? I would like for you to just think for a moment. What does the word ready in this context mean to you? And here's what I'd like to suggest. God knows you. God knows the plans he has for you. And God is ready to enact all of those plans that he has in store for you. God is ready. What's the next phrase? To assume full responsibility. How would you define assuming full responsibility? Let me use this as an example. You're at work. You have a great idea. Maybe it's a new product. Maybe it's a new service. Maybe it's a new way of doing things. And you 
go to your boss, or if you're the boss, you go to the team and you say, this is what I think we ought to do. And you say, I know that it's different. I know that, that, it's, that, it, that it's got some risks to it. But I know that if we do it this way and we're successful, there will be a great benefit. And finally, the people that you're talking to, they look at you and they say, okay, but if this thing blows up, it's on you. And you say, I take full responsibility. God is ready to assume full responsibility. My definition of responsibility is response-able. God is response-able. He can respond. He is able to respond when you give your life to him. The last part of the phrase, to the life that is wholly yielded to him. So what's meant by wholly yielded? Let me, let me tell you this story. 17 days into my wife's retirement after 20 years as our children's director here at Highland Park. I, I did a no-no. Many of you that were here remember that I had a heart attack. It was on a Sunday morning. It was 5.30 on Sunday morning. And by the time Highland Park family gathered together here to worship, I was the proud owner of two new stints, courtesy of St. Francis Hospital. And I use courtesy of very loosely. <laughs> but a year to the day after that, I was back at St. Francis, and I was getting another stint. Much to my wife's chagrin, and much that she pointed out to me, we will not do this again next year. <laughs> but just assume for a moment, as, as I was lying there getting ready for that third stint, had I looked up at my surgeon and said, hey, doc, this isn't my first rodeo. I've been here before. All I need you to do is just get that catheter up in there and get it to the heart. And after you do, then I'm going to move and lean and push and massage and, until I get that stint where it needs to be. How do you think that would have worked? Now, at that point, I was wholly yielded to the surgeon and to the team. You know what? When it comes to our life spiritually, we may understand that God is ready and that God is willing to assume full responsibility. But it comes down to, am I wholly yielded to God in my life? And that's what's involved in service. That's what's involved in service according to his plan for our lives. We're going to look at four principles. If you have your sermon page, it's in your bulletin. I would encourage you to get that out. Be able to take notes if you want, to be able to jot down some things. We're going to be talking about four principles for effective service. And the text for the first principle is Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. In Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, we read Joshua saying to the nation of Israel, to the people of Israel, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether 
the gods of your ancestors, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Moses had led the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. And then they had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Joshua was now ready to lead them into the promised land. And he was saying, look folks, you've got to decide. Are you going to serve the gods back across the Euphrates? Are you going to serve the gods of your bondage? Are you going to serve the gods of the pagans that surround you? I don't know about you, but as for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. And you see, the principle is this. To serve is to be an example that others can follow. That's what Joshua said. As for me and my house, I'm going to set an example. And this is how I'm going to live my life. A year ago, I had the opportunity to visit at a family reunion of a family I'm not a part of. I just crashed their party. They had good desserts. <laughs> now, that's not all true. But I went to be with this family because they have been family friends for a long, long time. In fact, my dad led several people within that family to the Lord in the early 50s down in the Kaimishis down in southeast Oklahoma. And one of the guys who had just celebrated 50 years of ministry in the same congregation in Missouri said, David, in all the years of my ministry, whenever I had difficult decisions to make, I would always ask myself, what would Brother Dunson do? And as I was driving home, I thought, God, thank you for the influence of my dad in my life and the lives of a lot of other people. To serve God is to live in such a way that you are an example that somebody else can follow. Here's principle number two. The scripture text for principle number two is this. From 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And that leads to our second principle. The second principle, to serve requires wise stewardship of the gifts you've been given, whatever they may be. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is teaching, and he tells a story of a businessman who is going on a long journey, and before he leaves, he calls together three of his servants, and he gives to them, some translations say talents. My newer translation of, in the NIV calls it bags of gold. And actually, when I was looking at, my, at, my, at this particular translation, I'd never noticed that before. But in Jesus' story, the owner says to one servant, I'm giving you five bags of gold. I'm giving you five talents. To another, I'm giving you two talents. To another, I'm giving you one talent. And here's a part of the story that we often skip over. 
The owner didn't have any servants that he called in and says, you have no talent. But how often have you heard someone, maybe you've said it yourself, well, that's okay for those people over there because they're talented, they're crazy talented, but I don't have any. There is no one in the kingdom of God that has no talent. And the story that Jesus was telling them was, you need to be a good steward of what you have. And you know the story. The guy who received five went out and used it, and he made five more. And the guy who had two went out, and he used it, and he made two more. And the guy who had the one went out and buried it. And when you bury the talent you have, that's like saying to God, I don't have any talents. In fact, what did that servant say? He said, God, I, I, he said to his owner, to the, to, the, to the master, he said, I know that you reap where you don't sow, and I know all of these things. You know, it kind of sounds like conversations that you may hear at work when people complain about other employees, about, about bosses. And all of the excuses of why I'm not fulfilling that which God has given me to do. And when it comes to the body of Christ, folks, we all have talents. We all have a responsibility to wisely use whatever those talents may be. Because that is a principle of effective service. Dwight L. Moody said, let God have your life. He can do more with it than you can. <laughs> I love that. Let God have your life. He can do more with it. But what does it mean for me to let God have my life? It means to be wholly yielded to him. Let God have your life. He can do more with it. And you'll be amazed at what he can do. Here at Highland Park, we have what we call place, a place survey. The place survey that we use is an online survey. It helps people understand how God has wired them, how God has equipped them. It'll, it'll help define a personality type. It'll identify spiritual gifts. It'll identify those environments in which you can function best. It'll be able to help you connect your passions with ministry. It'll help you understand your life experiences and how those life experiences can be used in good stewardship of serving God and how to minister to God. That's, that's, that's what this is all about, being a wise steward. Now, principle number three, and the text for principle number three is like principle number two's text. This one comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12 verses 4 to 7. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. And now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Notice the contrast and the commonalities in that passage. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of workings, but it is the same God. And that is so important for us to understand. And notice that he says that serving is for the common good, not personal glory. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus warns about doing our acts of righteousness so that others will take notice and praise us. 
And Jesus said, if you do that, there will be no reward from your Father in heaven. I recently uh, attended a workshop, um, and uh, before the workshop began, I was highly entertained by the conversation of two ladies seated in the row behind me. And their conversation was, was entertaining because they, they both were engaged in some pretty sophisticated one-upsmanship <laughs> about different seminars and workshops that they had attended. And I mean, I was listening to them, I'm thinking, man, I would love to have gone to that one. And some of them were international. And they both had had those experiences. And one would say this one and drop this name. And, and I was, you know, I'm a one-eared guy, but my one good ear was almost in their lap listening to their conversation. And then they began talking about a, a, an organization they both were familiar with, the leadership they both knew. And this one lady said, you know, I really like what they're doing. In fact, I called and named the person that I took to be the director or president or whatever. I called her and told her that I really liked what they were doing and that I would, I would be willing to serve in their organization. And I told her I wanted to be on the planning committee. And then with a very astonished tone of voice, the woman went on to say, but she never called me back. <laughs> you know, it is for the common good. It is not for my benefit that I am necessarily to serve. Annie Johnson Flint wrote, Christ has no hands but our hands to do his work today. He has no feet but our feet to lead men in the way. He has no tongue but our tongue to tell men how he died. He has no help but our help to bring them to his side. You see, the principle is to serve is to be a physical expression of the body of Christ. Principle four, John 12, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Here's, here's an important thing to understand. The effectiveness of your service is determined by your intimacy with the one whom you follow. Christ can only lead those who are willing to follow him. If you want to be where Jesus is, you must go where he leads. And then you need to understand this. He never sends us someplace he's not already there. To serve is to be intimately acquainted with Christ. I want you to think about that John 12 passage. Or Jesus is talking about, if you, go, you need to follow me. I want you to think of that and then just listen to John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, we're familiar with that because that's the passage that starts off, that's the chapter that starts off with 
Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, in verse 3 of John 14, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. You see, we think of that in terms of end of life, but that applies to my service. When I am following him, when I'm willing to go where he leads me, if I want to be where he is, I have to follow where he leads. And when I follow where he leads, he's there. And it's because Jesus says, I want you to be where I am. Your service, your act of service is a place for you to be where Jesus is. I see, we're all called to serve a lot of different places. Here's a, here's a neat thought, that when I am serving where Jesus has called me and I am with Jesus there because he's there with me, and you are serving where Jesus has led you, and you are serving in the presence of Christ, we're all with him at the same time, and we're right where he wants us to be. And so we understand that he has called us into this kind of relationship. He has called us into this intimately acquaintance, an intimate acquaintance with him as we serve him. Now, a few weeks ago when Matt Crosser preached, he used a quote from Reggie Joyner in Phases. And, and it is a quote that, that really resonated with me. And I, I went back to the office, and on Monday morning I went in and I typed it up, and, and I put it on a little card and set it on my desk. And that is the quote that says, When you see the time you have left, you will get serious about the time you have now. When you see the time you have left, you'll get serious about the time you have now. When Brian started this sermon, started this series, he had this bowl of marbles. And he said there are 936 marbles in there, and that represents 936 weeks that go from birth to the time a kid graduates from high school. And, and that 936 weeks seemed to really catch people off guard. And you think about, oh, there's another marble I don't have. There's another, another marble that's gone. There's another one. There's another one. There's another one. But some of us, we don't have 936 that we know of. Some of us feel like, you know, a lot of my, I've lost a lot of my marbles. Well, we're not going to go there. But a lot of us realize, you know what, my marble container is a lot smaller now. And I don't know exactly how many marbles I have left. I could count the ones in this cup. I can't count the number of marbles I have left in my life. I loved the song that we sang. And I loved the illustration that Gabriella used about the little boy who was being bullied. 
Gabrielle and I hadn't talked about this, so this is just a God thing. Talked about the little boy and the dad saying, hey, you, son, who's your daddy? What do I say about you? This week, as a police chaplain, I met a young lady who ended her life at the age of eight, of the age of 16. I say I met her. I met her grieving family. I met her mom who had found her. I met her, her stepdad who loved her. I've met her younger siblings who could not understand why all these cops were in their house and why mom and dad were crying and why they couldn't go see their sister and You see, folks, we don't know how many marbles are left, but we do know what the Father has said about us, regardless of what the world has said about us. We do know that he has called me to be involved in service, because when I'm involved in serving him, I am with him and his Blessing is on me. His presence is with me. I am not alone. You are not alone when you are where he calls you to be. Maybe today needs to be a day. And you say, God, I don't know how many marbles are left in my cup. But I promise you this, that every marble left in my cup, God, I give to you. Every marble left, lots or a few, I place them in your hands. And I want to serve you. Maybe for some of you, you started down that journey of service and you've gotten distracted. You've lost sight of what it means to serve on his terms. Maybe you've looked at the pain in the world and you've said, how can there be a God who would have that much, allow that much pain to take place in the life of a sweet 16-year-old girl? And I promise you, I can't answer that question. But I can promise you, I know the one who can. And someday in heaven, we will be able to answer get the answers to all those questions. So I call upon you today to say, God, I want to serve you with the rest of my life. Many marbles are few, but I want to be in your presence. Father, I thank you that you give to us today an opportunity, an opportunity to, to know what it means to effectively serve you. Help us, God, to be an example that can be followed. Help us, God, to be people that are intimately acquainted with you from beginning to end. Lord, help us in these next few moments to be willing to say, God, here's my life. I give it to you.
Show me what you want me to do. Lead me. I will follow. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand and sing? Maybe you want prayer today. You come down to the front. Some of our men will be there to meet you and pray with you. Maybe you have some questions and you want conversation. They're on your communication card, your connect card. Just write that, that you want to talk to someone this week. That's an opportunity that you have to begin this next phase of your journey of serving God. Let's sing together.